forgive me for role-playing just a moment of a, of a secular person. Really? It sounds like we're in the middle of a Star Wars episode or something. It almost seems, maybe not science fiction, but seems fictional, seems fantasy-like. All this talk about spirits and spiritual realities and coming kingdoms and, and uh, spiritual battles going on where God intervenes and participates. I mean, sometimes we've got to ask ourselves this as people in the contemporary world. Do, do we believe this? Do, do we really embrace it all? Because even, even some buildings with crosses on them have forsaken some of these ideas and think that it's not, it's really, that's old school thinking. We know better now because we live in the scientific age. These things perhaps aren't as true. So we're going to talk about these tonight. And it's interesting, not only did all the spiritual warfare stuff come at a time where we're talking about the Reformation coming, which leads us into that great Martin Luther hymn about the, the mighty fortress, and we're going to break down some of those lyrics here in just a moment too. But, but also lands on Halloween weekend, where our world all around us seems just insatiably fascinated with, with spiritual stuff, but maybe faux spiritual stuff, like it's not really that real to them. Because... Moderns think you're crazy to believe in supernatural. The, the, the modern world, the, the contemporary, especially the, the secular academy, believes that we, we can know truth by what is measurable. So we, we believe in nature and we believe in things that are physical. We don't believe in the supernatural, things that are above the natural. We don't believe in the metaphysical, those things that are beyond physics. We just like our truth what we, can, what we can dictate in a lab, that's what we, we find truth. So we believe in science, and we have faith in science. When somebody is sick, we say, why hasn't science done something? Why don't we have a cure? We lean into progress as, a, as, as our gospel in some ways. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, if you pull most people and ask them, do you believe that there's a God? 90% of people still believe that there's a God. There's still this idea that this can't be all there is. And it's funny, I, I like to watch sports. And there's, there's often some story of a player who's particularly motivated because maybe their grandma passed away or something like that. And the player will inevitably say something, how'd you feel playing with uh, your grandma passed away? Oh, I, I knew she was in the huddle with me. I thought, what are you, crazy? <laughs> You believe that spiritual thing? You don't give Jesus the time of day. You don't really believe in grand spiritual truths enough to pursue a rich religious life. But when it comes to my grandma who passed away, I'm sure that she's somehow with me somehow. Why, why would you believe that when you don't take the time to believe? And, and who do we believe when it comes to spiritual things? Who has the right to talk to us about those things? Well, it's interesting that just a little bit more about our contemporary world right now. The, the Halloween movie came out. Did you know this? Uh, I, I haven't seen it. I've not seen any of the Halloween movie franchises, but they are horror movies based on a Halloween theme. The latest one came out. I guess it's a remake of the old series. Broke box office records everywhere. It's like unbelievable run to the theater to go see a Halloween movie. Even, even, uh, even Disney's gone all all uh, morbid on us. So like the Coco movie, anyone see Coco? Nice, nice Disney movie that introduced the lame theology of uh, 
Day of the Dead <laughs> to kids everywhere across the country. So now that they're all, those little minds are theologically uh, askew. But what really interests me is the fascination recently with zombies. <laughs> Anybody seen a good zombie movie lately? What's, what's the name of the zombie, like the, the, there's the Walking Dead? Is that a zombie thing? I've never seen an episode of The Walking Dead. I was on an, on an airplane, and I saw a movie, and it had Brad Pitt in it, so I thought, oh, I'll watch that. It's free on the airplane. And it ended up being a zombie movie. It was the only zombie movie I'd ever seen. And, and so you know what a zombie is? It's a dead person, but they're sort of kind of living, but they're not really alive. They're dead. And if they bite you, you die like they do. They like suck the life out of you. So they walk around and trying to bite people and the whole, every zombie movie is the same. People desperately trying to stay alive and to keep themselves from the zombies. Forgive me if my zombie uh, theology was bad there, but uh, dead people existing amongst the living with an appetite for living flesh and if they bite you, you become dead like them. There is more truth in the zombie paradigm than you might imagine. For the reality of what we live in as Christians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. You followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Talking there about the devil. All of us also lived among them at one time. So we were all dead. We were all zombie dead in the world. But, oh, it goes on and says, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. In Christ, so those of you who are Christians, I'm assuming a number of you here tonight are Christians, perhaps all of us are Christians, you are alive. You go, Bill, I know. I, I woke up this morning. I was alive yesterday too, and I'm alive today. Yeah, okay, you're physically alive, but you are spiritually, the word of God says, what is the deal here? It's Satan. No, don't think so. So excuse, excuse me. Hopefully that'll stay this time. You are spiritually born again, says the scriptures. So something has happened to you that has made you particularly alive because before you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The Bible calls it new life. If anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. And in this Ephesians 2, it says you were made alive. So our series right now is the church alive. Because we are. We've been made alive by God. But the world, the world is full of dead people. It's a little creepy to say it like that. But that's what the Bible says. In the flesh, they look alive just like us. When it comes to life in the flesh, you look at somebody who is unsaved and someone who is saved, you go, they both look kind of fairly alive to me. But for both of those people, eternity has begun. You are either dead in your sins and you have death in your future or you're alive in Christ and you have eternal life in the future and we're both living out the beginnings of our future now. We're surrounded by people who are spiritually dead in their sins. All of us used to live among them but they are 
really dead and they really need to be alive. Our world is a world full of living and dead people, spiritually speaking. It would be so interesting if you had spiritual eyes and could walk down the street and see the difference. Who were the dead people and who were the living people? That's what the Bible says, so I'm not making this up. And this is real life, folks. And just like the zombie movie, there is an ongoing conflict going on because the dead people who are under the realm of the evil one want to bring down people of the light and drag them into their death. And we as people of the light want to reach out to people who are dead and pull them into the light and life of eternal life in Christ. So that conflict continues to rage, and this isn't sci-fi. This is spiritual reality. Are you with me? You go, some of you are going, this is nuts. And if you do say that, there, you're not alone. There's a lot of people who think that that's, but this is, this is biblical truth. It's, it's just straight out of the scripture. Jesus had a lot to say about this specifically. And just to bring, again, just to bring, uh, I'm a historian. I teach history, and you always have to bring in a bunch of references to support your point. So I'm going to bring in a bunch of witnesses to, to agree with this. Jesus talked about the interaction of the spiritual world with the physical world all the time. Even when he was baptized, what happened? Jesus, fully man, received the Holy Spirit, the holy, sacred, set apart, spirit, we're talking about a spiritual thing. So you go, oh yeah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're talking about the spiritual world every time we talk about the Holy Spirit. Jesus received this spiritual infusion at the time of his baptism. And then immediately it says that spirit sent him into the desert so that he could be tempted, mano y mano, with Satan himself. Jesus and the devil going, until Jesus ultimately casts out the devil. I mean, literally says, Go. Because the Bible says this, and you say that, and I stick with the word of God. So Jesus interacted with Satan himself. Jesus cast out so many demons. There's dozens of passages in the New Testament that talk about the casting out of demons by Jesus. It says they brought multitudes to him, and he would, he would heal them all. Uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, he talked about having treasures in heaven, not just on earth. This is where moth and rust destroy. This is the real reality that you need to be living in. In the Lord's Prayer, we just prayed it. Pray for deliverance from, you know, in the original language, it says, um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But really, the text says, deliver us from the evil, which is what is the devil is always referred to, the evil one. So a lot of classical translations of the Lord's uh, Lord's Prayer would say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, deliver us from Satan. So that is a spiritual reality that Jesus tells us to pray about all the time. In the garden, he says, pray that you won't fall into temptation because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Again, we have a spiritual life and a fleshly life and they are wrestling all the time. To the thief on the cross, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. How does that work? Unless he's talking about some sort of a spiritual reality. Uh, and in Second Peter, it's told to us by Peter that Jesus actually went and preached gospel to spirits who have departed. We say that in the Apostles' Creed when we say we, he descended into hell. There's a reality that all have heard this gospel, even people who have passed. So that's all, like, 
the world might go, that is wacky spiritual stuff. That is Jesus, specific things that Jesus talked about. And that's just scratching the surface. With the disciples, well, it says Judas was actually filled by Satan to betray. But then the good guys, Jesus warned Peter that Satan wants to sift you, Peter. You're going to have one-on-one spiritual warfare with Satan yourself. Peter warned his church members in turn that Satan's prowling around like a roaring lion waiting to devour you. The Apostle Paul says that he was tormented by a messenger of Satan over and over and over again. And the Apostle John in Revelation refers to Satan as the one who leads the whole world astray. All of these guys are all in on this spiritual reality, spiritual warfare. It's a real thing. The church alive has been made spiritually alive in a world full of the walking dead. Full of spiritual death all around us. Do we realize that? Do you, do you get up in the morning and realize, I, it's like I'm in a zombie movie. I'm alive and the dead are after me. Satan and the demonic world is after me. But we're after them with the truth of the gospel and Jesus wins and Jesus even said greater is he that is in you than he who's in the world I'm greater than the evil one but it's on right now do we live like that and that's where Ephesians chapter 6 comes into play so this is this this is uh, Paul at the end of this incredible uh, epistle is talking to this church in Ephesus And he calls them into spiritual engagement with the powers of evil. And again, this just doesn't sit very well. I'd probably get more more people would show up if I just gave a real estate seminar than to talk about something like this. Because people go, "I I don't believe this is real. But Paul does. And I think most of us who accept the scripture as true believe that it's real. So in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, it's already been read. I'm tempted to read it again, but for time, let's just uh, let, let's move on. There's four, four takeaways I'd like you to take away from the, this section uh, from Ephesians. And the first, the first one is simple. My hope tonight is that you will all leave this place just realizing that this is true. <laughs> just once again, recalibrating your mind so that you are living real life. Here's the fantasy fable. The fantasy fable is we're all there is. There are people living their life in a fantasy of the human being being the top of the food chain, the most powerful mind in the universe that they know, and that we are the controllers of our destiny, and that is goofy. This is true, and I... I get so tired of people. Uh, I, I work a lot in colleges and universities, and there are a lot of people who think they're really, really smart in those contexts, and they are smart. But they have the tendency to look at people who believe in spiritual things with an attitude of, you believe that still? Uh, the whole blue state, red state thing. Often uh, conservative people are mocked because they still think things like Jesus is coming back again. And I go, I believe Jesus is coming back again. Am I stupid? I don't think I'm stupid. I think I have really good evidence. I listen to Jesus and the preponderance of history. I mean, go into all of those apologetics and things like that. But for me, that's just, it, it's not, religion is not something that you adopt because it's a nice accoutrement to your life. We believe it because it's true. It is the truth of existence. 
And when you live according to the truth of existence, we don't go to church and just go, let's go talk to the church people about what they kind of think is true for a few minutes, and then we'll get back to real life. If that's church for you, you're not realizing. And I love this word. I've been, I've been noodling on this word, to realize something, to realize it. Make it real. If it's fake-ized in your, in your mind, you need to real, make it real, realize it. Realize that this truth is what it is. Uh, it's, in a, it's in the Nicene Creed at the very beginning when we say we believe in, in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in all things seen and unseen, right? That's part of the fullness of God's creation is the, is the unseen things. So again, to believe that the church is a gathering of the living when we realize that, we come together in this place and we can't help but go, thank God, thank you that I live because I was a dead zombie. And now I live and I couldn't have made myself alive. You had to make yourself alive. It was a gift from you. Otherwise, I'd be dead and hopeless just trying to get other dead people to be dead with me. But you made me alive and have, and have even given me the gospel so that I can share that life with other people so that they don't have to be dead zombies. They can live. They can be a part of life. So we praise and thank God. We take his life to the world and we baptize people so that they can receive the Holy Spirit, also spiritual reality, and enter into a new spiritual life from their death and they're not zombies anymore. And you as individual believers, not just church people, you are alive in a world full of dead people. You are a zombie movie every day, and they're out to get you, and you're out to get them, but greater is he. So to, to live in the reality of that world, I hope that you'll just embrace that reality and just say, God, forgive me if I ever start living in the fantasy world that you're not really the center of all things and that the kingdom of God is not the ultimate end to, to, to life here and, and, and the beginning of eternal life from there. We start to drift, don't we? We start living life like the world dictates life. We start thinking that these are the things that are important. God says, no, 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 no. Seek first what? The kingdom of God and its righteousness. All that stuff will be added unto you. But this is the center. This is real life, and we need to realize it. Second thing, realize the nature of your enemy. The devil. Pitchfork, little tail. no. These characterizations, gargoyles, the stuff through history, as people have tried to depict the evil reality of fallen angels, fallen heavenly powers who are antagonistic to God and have been given by God's sovereignty, I don't understand, release on the planet so that Satan is actually referred to in the scriptures as the prince and the power of the air, the, the, the prince of this world. Jesus referred to him as the prince of this world in the upper room discourse. Verse 12 of Ephesians 6 says, we are in a genuine struggle. It, we are in a state of war until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, the war only heats up, but he wins. But we're always in that state of war. Satan is strategic, it says in verse 11. Satan is a schemer. Satan is not stupid. So we have a strong enemy. Luther's song talks about that. He is good at what he does, unfortunately. Greater is he that is in us, but we better cling to who's in us because Satan creams us. 
left to ourselves. Evil is on the offensive. That's why Paul says in verse 13 that we need to resist the devil coming at us. So we have to be on the defensive. And also, Paul says he comes at you from multiple directions. This is referred to the broad theological category in the scripture is the world. And here he says, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, darkness, evil in general, all of these things are taking place not only here but in the heavens. There is a reality to the darkness and the wrongness that infuses worldly systems, worldly institutions. So when it says rulers and authorities and powers, do you ever look at some things that happen in the world and go, how in the world could that possibly happen? No sane human beings would come together and be that evil. That's why I go, wow, that's Ephesians 6 happening. It's like the institutions are becoming so evil in and of themselves that things spiral out of control that no one in those institutions even want to see happen. Satan is powerful because he is the prince of this world and he wields the world against the people of God. It's always been the case. He says, realize that. Don't be ignorant. Luther said in, in Mighty Fortress, calls Satan this world's tyrant. On earth he has no equal. Hordes of devils fill the land. Satan has sworn to work us woe with craft and dreadful might. He arms himself to fight. That's Luther. That's Luther, just that's theology of spiritual warfare. Do we, do we realize that? So do we realize the situation we're in, and specifically, do we realize who we're dealing with in Satan? Third thing, I'd like you to realize how you need to posture yourself in this battle. The Bible, Bible calls it taking a stand. So if I knew, uh, I make a Dodger reference here, is that okay? If uh, Clayton Kershaw was standing over there and he goes, Bill, I'm going to throw you a fastball, I wouldn't just go, yeah, bring it. No, I I'd get set. Can you give me a glove? Can you give me like four pillows? I think that'd be good. for. I would take a stance because I know it's coming. So the Bible calls us to take a stance because we know what's coming with the devil. And so he says, put on this armor. And again, we don't wear armor very often, hardly ever uh, these days, but you know what it's supposed to look like. We have images of that. So what are the weapons of Satan that we need to armor up against? First of all, Satan is a liar. So you need to armor up with an understanding of the truth to deflect the lies. Jesus did this when he was being tempted. He kept quoting scripture. Satan would say, I think this is true. And Jesus would go, that's where you're wrong. This is what's true because this is what the word of God says. He deflected it with the, the what of truth. I can't even remember what the specifics are. Breastplate, I, sword of the spirit. The word of God is the truth. The sword, of the, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Not going to make a big metaphorical connection to all that we know. What's the difference between a breastplate and a leg thing? I don't. But the concepts are important. He's a liar. You need the truth. Satan's going to come to you with this lie in particular. You're a sinner. And you don't deserve God. You deserve death. He says, no, 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 no. Put on the armor of God. Righteousness. Where is our righteousness found? In Christ. You can point at me and point at my sin, and I can point at it with you, devil, but my righteousness is in Christ, and it is untouchable. He is my refuge of righteousness. So that lie doesn't hold because I know who I have believed and have entrusted my life to him. God hates you. 
Satan's going to lie. No, I am, I am blessed by a gospel of peace because God has bought me by the blood of Jesus Christ and I am at peace with God. I have been reconciled with God. He's my father and he's my friend and you're a liar because I'm protected by the gospel of peace. You don't need God. You can figure out this life on your own. <laughs> no, no, no. I am saved because I was dead. I was completely helpless, but I am, I'm alive now because of what God has done, and I am saved, and I could never have done that by myself. So that's another lie, and that's salvation. I put on salvation. Devil says, there's really no spiritual world. You just kind of die, and you get eaten by worms, and that's it. It's annihilation. It's nothing. No, 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 no. I am blessed by the Spirit. I put on the Spirit of God because I've been given eternal inner reality that's never going to fade away, devil. This is not all there is. There is spiritual life, and my Spirit in me is the Holy Spirit that saves me forever. All of this... Satan is going to attack... I don't think he's coming after you with an axe like in a bad zombie movie. Satan comes after you at, at the point of truth and at the point of understanding. And we need to arm ourselves with all of these concepts so that we don't let his lies win. Stay armed. Live in the truth. Romans chapter 2 says this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too now have new life. Don't you, you say, don't you know? He's saying this to the church in Rome. Come on, don't you guys know? This is who you are. And then verse 11, he says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Or some, some uh, uh, versions would say, reckon yourself alive. Don't let Satan come along and say, I reckon you're bad. I reckon you're a loser. I reckon that you're nothing but a pile of cells that's going to die and just be buried one day. I reckon, no, 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 no. no. It's how, how do you reckon? How do you reckon yourself? How do you identify yourself when those lies come? And when the lies come at you through his minions in the world, where the world comes to you and says, you shouldn't believe these things, how do you respond? I know who I am. I have the strength of God in me by the power of his word, which is why we come to church. So we can hear the word and we can taste the word and we can be dipped into the word and we understand this truth and we are armed for the battle. Fourth thing you need to realize, in the context of all of this, and this is where Paul wraps it up, how important prayer really is when you're living life in real life. Ephesians 6, 18 and then on to verse 20, because it's so good, I couldn't resist. Paul says, and be, because of all this, he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying, but not just for yourself, for all the Lord's people, because they need it. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. I, th I think we pray like zombies too often. I think we, we mostly pray for our bodies to feel good. 
We pray that we'll have money in the bank so we can buy food, so we can feed our bodies some more. My body hurts, so I pray for healing. My friend needs a new job, so I pray that he can get a job so he can have food, so he can feed his body and feel better. I think we just, we're, we're very fleshy in the way that we pray. But Paul says pray in the spirit. Not fleshly things. Pray, pray about kingdom things, the real things that really need God to move. Pray at all times, not just when it's convenient. All kinds of requests, not just physical hurts and alleys. Intercede for people. Not, don't just pray for yourself all the time. If anything, pray for everybody else first and then get to you if you have time at the end. And persevere when you pray. We have no patience. God, I prayed for you once. I didn't get it, so I guess it's a no. Jesus prayed three times in the garden for something he knew the Father's will even before he started praying it, but I'm taking it to God out of the fullness of my heart because that's what you do in the, in the world of spiritual warfare. You keep yourself centered by staying in pray, prayer and praying often. I sometimes wonder if we pray anywhere near enough as a church like we should be. And I think that for myself personally, I know I don't. A lot of our prayers sound like this. God, protect my house, my possessions, and my job, and my family, and my health. Luther said in Mighty Fortress, were they to take our house, goods, honor, child, or spouse, though life be wrenched away, they cannot win the day. The kingdom is ours forever. See the difference? I'd like to sit and pray with Luther for a while. Jesus said, pray, watch that you don't fall into temptation. So just to recap, the world would have you downplay spiritual realities, realize the real truth of our situation. The zombie spiritual dead around us want to bite you and have you die along with them. Hordes of devils fill the land, all threatening to devour us, Luther said. I don't think that was a specific zombie reference, but it works here, doesn't it? threatening to devour us, realize that your enemy has a plan. You think you have no time for spiritual warfare, you got too much real life going on, realize how you need to be armed with the gospel. And then finally, who has time for prayer? Does God really answer prayer? Realize how vital it is for yourself, but even more than for yourself, for others who are in the battle, and even more for others in the battle, your dead friends and neighbors who need the light of Christ. And that can, and the Holy Spirit moves when the people of God pray and the dead are raised. And that's up to the church. That's a, a, we've got to be the church alive to walk into this battle and be fruitful. Luther closes us. We tremble not, unmoved we stand. They cannot overpower us. In battle we'll engage. God himself fights by our side. God's judgment must prevail. His kingdom lives forever. Amen. We take a moment and receive an offering uh, with this crowd. It doesn't take much time to do that, but uh, we don't have a pianist. Are you going to doodle while we do play a little piano?